Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenique Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenique Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today, we're going to be talking about be wise, therefore discerning. We've already touched on this topic a few weeks back when we talked about be alert, therefore prepared. Because discernment is needed more than ever now in the confusion of our day, I'm going to be revisiting it in this topic. It's especially needed in order to discern how to navigate the institutions we're a part of so that we can keep our lives in balance. Addiction is crazy-making, and if you're involved with an alcoholic or an addict, the rules that you use to deal with life just don't work anymore. It's like trying to fix an American-made car with the metric tools that are used on a foreign-made car. It just won't work. All bets are off. You'll need a different set of tools. Last week, when I was talking to you about the narcissist, and the wisdom we all need to deal with, not only difficult people, but predatory people. Today, I'm going to share with you about another form of brokenness that affects humanity, and that's the addict and addiction. I absolutely hate addiction. Um, My dad was an alcoholic, and I saw what that did to my life as a child, and I made a conscious decision that I was going to help. I was going to be a part of the solution, not the problem. So I decided that I was going to um, train and be trained as a therapist, as an addictions therapist, because I wanted to help people. And so I've spent a majority of my life doing that. Unbeknownst to me, uh, I did not pick, pick alcohol as my poison, but because I was raised with the rules of addiction in my family, um, I ended up becoming a workaholic, and I now am a recovering workaholic, and, and that, I'm not saying that to be funny. It, workaholism is as destructive in some ways as alcoholism, and there are many types of addictions that people have that are process addictions, and many times in the church setting or the religious institutions, we're, we look at certain medicators and addictions as bad, and other ones are wonderful, and my drugs of choice were religion and work. And I was applauded while I was killing myself, (laughs) working myself to death in the church system. Um, You know, when you think about addiction, it affects people different ways. And there are four, four family roles predominantly in the dysfunctional family system, addictive system, that children take on. And those are the hero, the scapegoat, the lost child, and the mascot. And I want to tell you just a little bit about those so you get an idea. The hero is many times the firstborn, doesn't have to be, but they're the one in the family, the looking good one. They're the one that's making the family proud, that's covering up for that, super responsible, bright and shining star. Um, They're the one in the family that everyone counts on. They're the enabler. They're the one that helps to prop things up. The scapegoat is the person in the family, the acting out one that many times gets involved in addiction or gets pregnant out of wedlock runs away from home, has problems with authority. The lost child is the one that stays up in their room many times reading. They're artistic. They're out in a tree in nature. 
And the mascot is the funny person, the one that's acting out all the time and trying to take the focus off of the bad stuff, get the focus off the alcoholic or the person that's dysfunctional in the family, the, the leader, the parent. And to be quite honest with you, many hero children grow up never get involved in alcohol and drugs, but they become pastors, helping professionals, nurses, teachers, lawyers, pastors. And they go into those settings not having ever done inner work on those roles in their lives. And they just perpetuate that family system again. They become the, he- the hero and, and the, fam- the person that's trying to fix everything and take care of everything. And I was drawn to helping profession because that was me. I was a hero. I had to do my own work, though. Even as a therapist, I could not get involved in trying to fix the world and save the world from alcoholism and addiction and not do my own personal work. And I say that out there for any of you who might be pastors or people working in ministry or in helping professions, do your work. It'll take you out. You know, I almost burned out from things that I went through before I got into my own recovery and my own process. The addiction mostly talked about is drug and alcohol addiction, as I just said, and that they're very damaging to families, to people, to institutions. And, but those are chemical addictions, and food is a chemical addiction. That's another one in the religious system uh, that that's, people don't say anything a lot about is food addiction. And we focus a lot of things around food in, in our settings in the church. But there are other addictions, too, that are process addictions, not necessarily chemical. And that would be gambling, sex, spending, Internet addiction, work. And sometimes those also have a proponents of chemical addiction with them because for myself as a recovering workaholic, I had to learn that When I was in my work addiction, I could be dumping adrenaline and I would become addicted to the adrenaline. That's called adrenalizing. And so that becomes a chemical addiction in and of itself. And and it's damaging to the body. These addictions, they also affect people in the family system and people raised in the family. And they are also passed down generationally, causing generational trauma and dysfunction. And I want to let you know that in another podcast, I'm going to be sharing specifically about sexual addiction and how it's affecting the faith-based community that we're in right now because it's a plague in our society and it's a plague in the religious institutions. And the religious institutions aren't immune to it. The scriptures say that judgment begins at the house of the Lord and it has begun. We're hearing more and more every day about different people, leaders that we respect and love that have fallen to sexual perversion, and addiction. My father was an alcoholic, and his alcoholism took him out of my life at an early age. I was six years old, and I was one of the few children affected by divorce in 1958. There just weren't that many people that didn't have their dads in the home. My father didn't start drinking until I was about three years old, but once he did, his father was an alcoholic, he progressed just at rapid speed, and within three years, he was drinking to oblivion. He'd been a very successful insurance salesman, and he also was the worship pastor at our church. My mother held the family together as long as she could until it became so destructive that she had to divorce my dad to protect my brother and I. 
all those th although you know I wasn't I wasn't around his drinking but for a short time the first six years of my life but it affected me profoundly it doesn't take that much trauma to that a child is exposed to 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 cause significant issues in their life in fact one really bad trauma can do the trick my father ended up on the streets of West Virginia as a homeless drunk until he found the rooms of AA and became a, f a friend of Bill W. And he found his way to God as his source of power and life, even though he'd been an avid church attender. He'd been an agnostic. He was still his own higher power. Recovery gave him sobriety. It gave him sanity. It gave him his self-worth. And it gave him his well-being back. Therefore, he used to use the saying, he would say, Jesus saved my soul and recovery saved my butt. Addicts with addiction alone are not, and not some other mental health issue or what we call comorbidity, they're, they're, just, they're broken. They're normally not predatory. They can be selfish. They can be self-indulgent. And they can think they're terminally unique, which is something that all alcoholics and addicts, we all think we're terminally unique. It only is happening to me. It's all, you know, all about me. But they're usually not predatory. But if responsibility were a person, an addict would want to kill it. They hate responsibility. And they always look for the easier, softer way. They'll take the easy way out, even if it's in daily chores, if it's it's, they're going to take the easier, softer way, and many times they also look for geographical escapes from life's problems. Um, the reason addicts drink and use and do the processes is they don't like reality. It's uncomfortable. And they're looking to be comfortable. If, you, if you're cold, you put on a coat. And we would say in treatment, uh, as treatment professionals, they medicate to regulate they're medicating to regulate brain chemistry. Sometimes they have untreated depression and anxiety. A lot of people start drinking to treat their anxiety. And then later down the road, they become addicted. I once saw a cartoon in the newspaper, and I cut it out to keep, and I'll never forget it. I wish I could still find it. But I see it just so well in my brain because it was exactly God was speaking to me at the time through this. And you know, if you have a relationship with God and he gives you revelation, you will understand what I'm speaking of, that you just know something and it's burned into your brain and you can never forget it. And this is one of those things. In this cartoon, it was about a man and he had a dog named Ralph. And that was the name of the dog. And the man was so upset with his dog because his dog kept chewing up his newspaper. When he would run out to fetch the newspaper and bring it back in, he would bring it in and drop it at his owner's feet. It would be all chewed up. And the, and the man was so upset. He was just giving Ralph a tongue lashing. And the conversation went like this. You need to stop tearing up my newspaper, Ralph. I've told you, Ralph, several times that you can't do this anymore. Do you hear me, Ralph? I mean it, Ralph. You need to leave my newspaper alone, Ralph. And under the cartoon, it said, Ralph's interpretation. Blah, 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 Ralph. Blah, 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 Ralph. Blah, blah, Ralph. Blah, 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 Ralph. Blah, blah, Ralph. I remember thinking at the time that I saw it. This is exactly what it's like to communicate with an addict. 
Those who try to fix the attic like I once did have no realization that words do not work. All they hear is blah, 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 Ralph, blah, blah, Ralph. It can be quite maddening to watch someone sabotage their own life, shoot themselves in the foot, and in so doing yours as well. Because I wanted to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem, as I said previously, I, I became a therapist and I specialized in addiction. I wanted to see people freed, and still do, of this horrible disease. Dis-ease. Disease. And that's what it is. There's no ease in it. Only torture. These people have a hole in their soul. I opened a parachurch recovery center and rolled up my sleeves, and I was ready to help the faith-based community. I wanted to face it head on. What I found was that many of the leaders in the faith-based system I was a part of were children and grandchildren of alcoholics. And although they may never put a glass to their lips, they were living by the same family rules of the active alcoholic family. The rules being, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Because of that, their kids were experiencing a life at church in front of people and a different life at home. They were living addictively. Since many of their parents who had lived with an alcoholic parent had, like me, decided not to drink, they were still living addictively with a more covert form of addiction like workaholism or religious addiction or food addiction. They still were not present to their children, and this was damaging to them. Alcoholism and other forms of addiction are rampant in the religious systems. It's hidden, and families suffer alone, in secret, and in silence due to the judgment they'll encounter if they go for help or break the family no-talk rule. A former friend of mine who's now across the veil was an alcohol abuser as a teenager due to a generational pull toward it and to medicate the inner pain he was bearing. He had a profound experience with God and gave up the alcohol and went to seminary. He dedicated his newfound life to God and became a leader in his denomination as a pastor and a traveling speaker. He was well-respected and sought after. After over 20 years, he decided to meet a friend at a local bar to talk to help talk him through some difficulties. Long story short, he relapsed back into his former state, and the alcoholism had progressed while he was not drinking. That's something most people don't understand. It is progressive. And even if you stop drinking, unless you're actively working to recover and, and re- regain your soul back and do your inner work, it progresses. So when he took up the glass and started drinking, it took him out. He lost his wife, his kids, his ministry, and he ended up in jail. He never regained back the years he lost. He had been told that Jesus had healed him and he could drink again normally. That was not true for him, and it was tragic. Simply put, healing does not mean that we walk back into the pit of destruction we were set free from. That is not wisdom. And freedom does not mean we're free to do whatever we want. Freedom has boundaries, or we are not free. If you read the scriptures, it's all about God giving us boundaries, much of it. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, this will happen. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll you'll be cursed. It is a book of boundaries. Where we got the idea that freedom is throwing off all restraint is not true. 
When I read the Proverbs, when I hear about the evil man, I think about narcissists and psychopaths. When I hear about the fool, I think about the addict and the alcoholic. The Proverbs have this to say about the alcoholic. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And this is what Proverbs has to say about alcoholics and leadership. It's not for kings. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink or else they will drink and forget what has been decreed and will pervert the rights of the afflicted. You notice I said alcoholism, not the drinking of alcohol. I am not against drinking alcohol for those who are not medicating with it or addicted to it. Alcohol is for ceremony and celebration for the Jewish community on Shabbat and feast days. Also, much like tobacco is used for the believing Native American community for pipe ceremony and the concentrating of the drum. Alcohol is used for family gatherings and pool parties and ball games. These things were given by God in our ceremonies with him and one another. But when we use alcohol, nicotine, any of these things to escape and use them for ourselves, they become destructive. What I'm speaking of is intoxication and drinking to medicate our emotional pain. When alcohol becomes a medicator and we turn to it regularly to cope with life, then we are on a slippery slope because we may soon progress into alcoholism where it becomes our poison. And instead of heading toward a ceremony, we are heading toward a cemetery. The death of our careers, the death of our marriages, the death of our families, and our own ultimate death. There's a saying in recovery of the three choices we have as an alcoholic or addict. Sober up, cover up, or lock up. Sober up is to do our inner work, not just getting rid of substances, but to do become emotionally sober. Do our inner work. Most addicts and alcoholics have an adolescent brain. Many of them started using in their adolescence. And so whenever you start using alcohol or you start using drugs or medicators, your brain stops maturing at that point. So part of becoming sober is your brain becoming mature. Sober up is to do that. Cover up is in our graves with dirt. And lock up is to be in jail or prison or locked up in insanity in a mental health facility. I've watched so much death due to alcoholism and addiction over the years, and it's been so hard for my soul to bear. And I've grieved over the fact that the most untreated population of struggling alcoholics and addicts are in the faith-based institutions we call the church. In fact, a majority of untreated addicts are drawn to the charismatic church where they can experience the intensity of emotions and adrenal dumps right alongside the people who are truly having a valid spiritual experience and connection to God. Addicts can be addicted to intensity and can become compulsive about attendance to meetings, running from conference to conference, and having to go from worship meeting to worship meeting. An addict will display all the same behaviors of non-addicted people in a worship experience, but then they will get into the car and drive right back into their addictive life unchanged. This is why discernment is so very important to have on board. The wheat and the tares grow up next to one another and look quite alike. It takes discernment to distinguish between the two. 
An addictive pastor or leader of any organization will wreak havoc on the system in which they lead and govern. The trickle-down effect will touch everyone's life in the organization, and the unmanageability in the life of the addict will cause confusion and insanity for everyone connected to them. Faith-based leaders will practice their addictions in secret as they will live a double life. But if you have discernment and trust your discernment, you will begin to see the cracks. It's important not to dumb yourself down. It's also important not to enable your addictive leader by making excuses for their unacceptable behavior. It's really important not to confuse the fact that they can operate in a spiritual gift but that is not necessarily a validation of the presence of the anointing of God in their lives. Operating in spiritual gifts does not mean that their lives are in order or that God is in some way validating them to remain in the condition that they are. The alcoholic addict must be accountable for their actions and consequences is usually the most effective wake-up call they will respond to. We talk about in recovery, praying many times, I hope this, when they hit their bottom, I hope this is not a high bottom. You pray for a low bottom so that they'll hit their bottom and go and look up to God and say, I'm done. I'm done running my own life. I'm done being the the pilot of my, my own destiny. I need God. I need God. I need you to come in and take over my life. As a faith-based community, we must stop making excuses for unacceptable behavior And we must call on integrity from our leaders. This means developing a plan of action to take when we find someone is in trouble. And we need to be willing to go outside of our church box to get real and effective treatment for the problem. If the addict won't respond to our intervention to get help, then we have a responsibility to act on behalf of those who are looking to that leader as an authority figure in their lives. We can't just stand by and allow that leader to have a carte blanche access to be able to use and abuse people over and over due to their addictive behaviors. It's not ethical, and it's not godly. Now, I'm not advocating that we're to go in and blow up our institutions in a controlling or reactionary way. I'm advocating for discernment in our lives as individuals to require more of ourselves when it comes to responsibility and working of the lives of others. Ministry leadership And any type of leadership, teacher, police officer, whatever that leadership is, a politician, it should be a sacred trust to work in the life of another. It's a serious calling. And we do well to remember the scripture that causes us not to cause, calls on us not to cause our brother or sister to stumble. In Matthew, it says, he who receives you receives me and receives the one who sent me. Jesus was saying that if we received him, we were also receiving God who had sent him. You know, the opposite's also true of that. If we're not receivable, then people are not going to receive God because they're going to, we're representing him and they're going to be offended with God. It's our job to be receivable and honorable because as people of faith, we are representing the king of the universe, especially if we're seen as leaders and authority figures of those institutions. We are not to take God's name in vain, and that means bringing it to naught or nothing. As leaders, we must remember that as a spiritual leader, much is required of us. Discernment is key in responding to these issues at hand. Discernment gives way to insight. 
It helps us grasp and comprehend something that's happening around us that may be unseen to the human eye, but it's there nevertheless. Even though we can't see it, there's stuff happening all, and there's subconscious things happening. Discernment is perception, and it helps to diagnose problems by being aware. The first thing is being aware they exist. It brings us out of denial, and it makes change possible. Discernment allows us to notice small details, pick up on the red flags in a situation, and make righteous judgments. It's needed in order to make wise and effective decisions for ourselves and if we're in a place of leadership to govern in these institutions. For many years, I was under the influence of teaching that taught me that I should never question the spiritual leaders in my life. I was taught to touch not the Lord's anointed. And also that, similar to the scriptures with Noah when he was drunk and exposed, I should not uncover my father or anyone's nakedness. These scriptures, although they're true, they were used in ungodly ways to continue unacceptable, to allow unacceptable behavior to continue. I was also taught that I was under covering by my pastor and leaders from the church. These teachings, though they may have been well-meaning at the time, have handicapped many people and kept them trapped in cult-like faith-based systems with leaders who are addictive and abusive and dysfunctional. And they're allowed to practice their addiction in secret and without any accountability at all. They have not been helpful, and they've been hurtful and destructive. True leaders are not over anyone, but are servants. They're transparent, they're honest, they're trustworthy, and they actually are the platform for their peers to dance on. You notice I said peers. True leaders do not put themselves over someone else or want to be put over anyone. They don't want to be the father, the mother. The, they don't, they're not trying to be that in people's lives. They want to come alongside others and help others to live their lives and be responsible and not stay as children. True leaders know that the place of real authority in the life of another, it's reserved for God alone, not a man-made substitute. So they're going to they're going to move people toward God, not in a dependency relationship with them. A true leader won't want this person to be totally dependent on them forever. They want them to be dependent on God. A true leader operates in integrity. A true leader does not take the worship due to God, due to God and draw it to themselves. They don't want the worship of men, and they don't want a profane gift on the altar. They're not tower builders to ego and self but they're altar builders on the altars built to honor God. They're not hirelings and will not sell their souls to the system in which they lead. They have nothing to win, nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to gain. They have a reverential fear and respect of the Lord, and they know that their actions affect others. So they take the, that commitment really seriously and the, the responsibility of that, unlike the addict who uses alcohol and other things, including people to feed off of. True leaders can delay gratification, act with maturity, unlike the addict who sells his birthright for a bowl of porridge. Guys, we must ask more from ourselves. We must be unwilling to settle for a false addictive form of spirituality that is void of the true and living God. We must discern the times and we must discern those that labor among us. We must be responsible leaders, and we must not place ourselves in a position to enable and advance the agenda of ungodly leaders. 
I challenge you, I challenge myself to learn as much as we can about addiction so we can be knowledgeable when dealing with these issues because whether we know it or not, or like it or not, in our addictive society, we are being affected. If we're people who are, if you're a person who's struggling with addiction, reach out for help with a person who's certified and trained to deal with your addiction. You deserve the best. And there are people out there willing and ready to walk with you in the recovery of your life. Now, I'm not going to say anything. You know, I believe in I believe in deliverance. I believe in healing prayer. I believe in all those things. But you cannot cast out a wound. And if you have a wound that's unhealed, it's going to draw maggot, flies. And fly, flies are going, to, are going to lay maggots. And it says in the scriptures, if you cast out the demons and you don't do something to secure the house, then you're worse off. Make sure that you get someone that specializes and understands addiction if you're struggling with it. You deserve someone who understands. If you have a heart issue, you're going to get the best heart surgeon. I stepped into my recovery 40 years ago, and I gained tools, not only to deal with the addictions in my life and the lives of others, but to navigate my illness and other issues in my life that I've had to contend with in these last years. My recovery gave me amazing tools. And many times people, I'll share those. I share my experience, strength, and my hope with others as a recovering person. And when I do that, many times people don't even know I'm in recovery. And they will be like, oh, that's so wise. Did you learn that in your training? Absolutely not. I learned that in my recovery. I want you to know that I love the life God has given me through recovery. And I love that what I've learned in recovery has taught me how to really live my life out loud and fully. And I want the same for you. I want the same for you. Thank you for giving me your time today because your time is valuable. It's finite this side of heaven. And so it, it's, it's very precious. So I want to thank you for that. I also want to tell you that if you'd like to learn more things that, my, that I've written about, or that Dr. Aglali Sakina has written about, you can go to our website, indigenousmessengers.com, and you can see, and you can also learn about us as people. I like to be known, <laughs> and I'm not a guru, and I'm not, even as a leader, I don't, I don't place myself above people. I want to just be a peer. I can learn from you, you can learn from me. I may be further down the road in some things, you're further down the road in others. I just want to be a guide or a midwife. And as I close today, I want to remember my grandchildren and my children. I, I'm thankful they are forgiving. <laughs> they have forgiven much. And my life, I, the rest of my life in my recovery is my living amends. I can't go back and I can't redo what I've done. But I can live my life effectively and responsibly as a recovering person, as a person of integrity to the best of my ability. So I dedicate this to my children and my grandchildren. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenik Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.